We are so glad you've joined us today for our Tuesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. Have you ever found yourself having more patience with some people than others? You know, um, this just kind of came to me as I was just trying to see what we're going to be doing here in 26 and where we came from in chapter 25 of how David was just, you know, done with Nabal. And yet before that, he was very gracious and patient with Saul. And, um, and, and so, uh, and here we're going to see him be very gracious and patient with Saul again. And then we're also going to see in chapter 27 where he shows absolutely no mercy or grace or anything to the townships that he goes and raids. And uh, I can't help but think that that's kind of like us in a nutshell. We have certain people that we just have a no-tolerance policy for, for whatever reason. And it shouldn't be the case. And there's other people that we extend all sorts of grace and mercy to, and uh, it really should be that more or less across the board. So as we get into this, remember where we're coming from. We're coming from the time period where David was just about, when it came to Nabal, off with his head. And he was going for bloodshed. And uh, he was going to right own, his own uh, wrong that happened to him. And so he was taking matters into his own hands if it wasn't for Abigail who came and spoke truth into his life and, and spoke sense into his life. It stopped him from committing an atrocity that would follow him into his kingship. And so here we have in chapter 26, after that event, and of course God is the one that uh, carried out vengeance for David, and, and Nabal died, and so Abigail became uh, David's wife. And so here we have, in, verse, in chapter 26, verse 1, it says, Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah, opposite Jeshimon? Hakalah is, uh, means darkness, by the way. And, it, and they think it means darkness because it's a heavily forested area, is there what their thought is. And so the Ziphites you know, had betrayed David's whereabouts before to Saul in, in 1 Samuel 23. They're the ones that came and said, hey, he's hiding amongst us. And he, they go to Saul again and say, hey, he's still hiding amongst us. And so um, so they're obviously there to, to uh, they're throwing themselves with the alignment of Saul. For whatever reason, they think Saul is the one that's going to be the victor between the two. And so they're throwing their lot with him. Uh, and so... Again, they try and gain King Saul's favor by helping Saul find David again. So it says, um, Then Saul arose, went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. So David has about 600 men at this time. Saul brings 3,000. He obviously thinks that's enough. Uh, and then in verse 3, And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. So we could see that Saul's little tearful confession uh, back in chapter 24 was pretty much empty because here he comes chasing David once again. 
uh, looking to kill him. Uh, the last time uh, they met, uh, David just happened upon Saul in the cave. This time he actually goes seeking him. And so it's a little bit different. He actively seeks Saul out at this point. The Hebrew word here, uh, where it says that, that um, within the camp, uh, there in verse 5, now Saul lay within the camp, is a very interesting word. The word uh, within the camp is a, word, a Hebrew word that means trench. And what this says is that Saul lays within the trench. The idea is that the perimeter of the camp was marked by the tracks of their carts or wagons that they were, you know, carrying with them as well, probably for food and supplies and things like that. They literally circled the wagons around Saul is what this means, okay? So if you think of the old westerns, how they circled the wagons and they fought behind there, well, Saul would have been the one in the middle there. That's where his tent would have been. They would have put the, um, within the trench, so the markings of their carts, and so uh, they literally would have surrounded his area with the carts and things like that, he'd be within there. And then the rest of the army would have camped around him to protect him. So, and then it says, Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai, the son of Zariah, uh, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. That's the last mention of Ahimelech the Hittite. (laughs) So, he had an opportunity to raise to the occasion, and obviously he didn't volunteer for that. Abishai did, and we don't hear anything about this guy ever again. Um, the Hittites are mentioned repeatedly in the Old Testament. Uh, they were one of the nations to be driven out in Canaan. Uh, their empire, centered in Asia Minor, came to an end around 1200 BC. Um, and so the Assyrians are in the 8th century are the ones that finally drew, drove them out for the most part. So uh, at this point... Um, uh, they're, they're pretty much off the scene, but there's a couple of them around that are still known as being Hittites, and this is one of them. Uh, and so Abishai was David's nephew, according to 1 Chronicles 2.15. He was a courageous warrior, remained faithful to David, even at the time when Absalom is running David out of, of Jerusalem and being king. Um, Abishai was the one that saved David from a giant in 2 Samuel 21. And so, uh, so Abishai is a very, very faithful, loyal companion to David, and he has served David all the days of his life, even into his kingship. And so it says in verse 7, So David and Abishai went down to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with a spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay around all around him. And then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day, now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. I want you to be able to see the um, thought behind this with Abishai. No doubt Abishai was one of the ones that probably thought that when David met Saul in the cave, he should have disposed of him then. David looked at it and says, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. Abishai is basically saying, I can. (laughs) He said, look, I know you have reservations about it. I do not. Let me do this for you, and then you won't have the guilty conscience, is what he's saying. But there's a problem with this. Because James makes this very clear when he states that, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. 
if you have the opportunity to stop evil and you do not stop evil, what does that make you? Evil. That's what it makes you. And so David's going, look, whether you kill him or someone else does, and, and that's in my presence and I know about it, I'm just as guilty. I'm just as guilty. And he's not going to let him do it. He's not going to let him do it. And so, and it's interesting to me, the advice that David gets here, just like the last time, that his associates point out, check out the circumstance. This is obviously what God wants to do. This is obvious. God has delivered him into your hands. Yes, but to do what? In their minds, it was to kill him. That's got to be the will of God right there, to kill him. Where David, I believe, sees this as being, no, this is, again, a test. It's a testing of my faith. Do I take matters into my own hands? And quite possibly, he's still thinking about what he was about to do to Nabal. And God rescued him from his own hand of putting uh, 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 of, of bloodshed. And carrying that into the kingdom, whatever it is that God made him king. And so he sees this, and the people around him see it so much, it has to be this. But David doesn't see it that way. And he's not going to take the advice of those around him with the peer pressure. saying, this is obviously what it means. This is what you should do. But David's not buying into it. David's not buying into it. David is so much us. There are glimpses of just... Absolute loyalty and uh, faithfulness to the Lord. But as we're going to see in chapter 27, and then there's times where you just go, he is not seeking the Lord here at all. He is running by the flesh. And that's so much the way we are. It depends really on the day, the mood, how close we are to the Lord, how much we're willing to hear from him of how we respond during the day. And there's other times we're so distracted, we're so fearful that we're making decisions on our own and they're fleshly wrong decisions. And David is no different. But right now is one of his shiny moments because he's not going to do it. The Lord shall strike him. And I, and I love his response to this. God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth and I will not have to strike him a second time. But what is it that David says? But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him on, strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. Wow. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord in Romans 12, 17. The Thessalonians, when they were suffering such intense persecution, Paul writes them and tells them this. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Did you know that? That it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulations those who trouble you. Now, I'm here to say this. I would say chances are you are not going to be there to see it. But that's God saying, I've got your back. That's God saying, hey, look, 
Those that are causing you the most trouble, the ones that are persecuting you, the ones that are just totally giving you grief for being a believer and doing the right thing and things like that. Hey, he tells them right here, I'm going to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Does that right there tell you when you get to rest? You get to rest when the Lord comes back. You get to rest when he takes you to heaven. That's when you get to rest. Till then? Mm -mm. But he goes on and says, Paul does, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. He's not playing around when he says, I will bring them trouble. Now, hopefully, through it all, they will see Jesus and will want to repent. But if not, these troublemakers are the ones that are really going to be in trouble. And so, Jesus shows us how to refuse um, to pursue the right thing the wrong way. Um, when Jesus himself was brought to uh, there in the wilderness, he'd been tempted by Satan on that third one. It says, And the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Here's the shortcut, Jesus. You don't have to go by way of the cross. I'll give it all to you just so long as you worship me. You don't have to go the next three years of ministry. You don't have to go uh, about go around and being rejected by the people and the religious leaders. You don't have to go through that horrible death of crucifixion. You don't have to. None of those things if you just bow down and worship me. Here's the shortcut. But what does Jesus says? Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. You know what? The whole world is going to worship me. Oh, it's going to be harder, and it's going to take a lot longer, but this is the right thing to do. And this is exactly what the Lord is trying to show David. There's a right way and a wrong way. Oh, yeah, man, you kill him right now, the throne is yours. The shortcut, baby. I, I, if I can just think of all the times in my life where I go, oh, this will be a shortcut a road, something like that, and I've gotten in trouble just about every single time where I think, oh, oh this is a shortcut. Oh, this will be easier. Oh, this is a way I can make up time. Man, that turns around and bites me every single time. You know you can get to it this way. Yeah, but I'm running late. I think if I just do this and this, I can get there, and you end up being twice as late as when you started, you know. And, and, and that's exactly the way it is when it comes to the things that God is calling us to do. We know what it is we're supposed to do. We don't know how, how many days that we have. But let's say I have another 25 years. I know that those aren't going to be 25 years of easy days. It's just not. In this world, I'm going to have tribulation. It's going to be a difficult road, period. End of story. And so... Anytime I'm trying to shortcut what God has me for those 25 years is going to come back to bite me, and it will cost me, and it will cost me. And so when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and right, then all these things will be added to you, that's what it means. 
God first, God first, his ways, what he wants. That's what has to be put in play, not what your flesh wants. And so it says, again, um, when he says in verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear, the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear, the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away and no man saw or knew it was uh, knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep because the deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. A couple things here. Where it says that the deep sleep had fallen upon that's the same word, the same term is used when in Genesis uh, chapter 2, when, when it's used of the sleep of Adam, putting him to sleep in order to pull out a rib, in order to create Eve. Same word. So this is very much a, a Lord, Lord anointed sleep. It's anesthesia to the max, okay? They ain't coming out of this, you know? I, I, I could just see David and Abishag going around and, you know, smacking into some iron or something like that or armor and making all this shh. It's like, dude, you could have made any noise you want to. They weren't coming out of the sleep. This is from the Lord. This is from the Lord. This description of the spear and the jug is very interesting to me. So think of wood and water, a spear, and it's sticking in the ground, it says. And so this description kind of suggests uh, an Eden, the Garden of Eden moment of sorts. This is David's temptation to take of the forbidden fruit. So you have a spear that could represent the tree of knowledge. And then you have this jug that are by the waters of Eden. And so he's having someone kill him. The throne will be yours. The crown is yours. The forbidden fruit. And he passes and says no. He says no. And I find this just, you know, like I've always said, you know, the height of one's glory of making a grand decision is always followed by usually some sort of bad decision in the way of the valley. And we're going to see that here with David here in a moment. And so it says in verse 13, now David went on to the other side, stood on top of a hill afar off, a great distance between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, do you not answer Abner? Then Abner answered and said, who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord, the king. And that would have been him. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his hand. This is amazing. Dramatic evidence. Uh, a lot like the evidence of, of the corner of Saul's robe. And yet, Abner is the commander of the army. He needs to be the one. He's the one that protects the king. He is responsible for the king. And he literally let his guard down. And so David has, again, the evidence. Here's a spear. Here's a jug. To which Saul, when he looks around, he can see his spear is gone. He can see the jug of water is gone. And so there's tremendous evidence there that Abner did not protect his king. Now, Abner, we're told, um, is the son of Ner. Ner was Saul's uncle. So Abner is actually quite a bit older than Saul. And, uh, and so Abner's position as Saul's right-hand guy here 
being the commander of the army is pretty significant because if you recall, if Abner is the commander of his army and David, after he, after he kills Goliath, and then he goes out and he's winning all these battles and stuff, it looks to me at that point that if David had continued and Saul didn't go all crazy and everything and, and run David out, that David would eventually have been the commander of Saul's army. He was an armor bearer, but he wasn't the commander of the army yet. And so he would have eventually replaced Abner. So if you think about it, this could be a reason itself that Abner also wants to see David dead. Because he doesn't want to be replaced by him. And he almost was replaced by him. And so David calls out to him, as the Lord lives, you deserve to die. And so... Um, then Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. I find this interesting. Remember before he would say son of Jesse and things like that. And then after he repented, he called him son of David. And this time around, same thing. Instead of saying son of Jesse, he calls him the son of David. And so he, he, he calls him my son. Is that your foot, my son, David? And it's like, He's, he's already conceived from the very beginning, he, he, he's trying to empathize with him. He's trying to reach out to him like everything's okay, but it's not okay. And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does the Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let the Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. This is, this is intense. David's message to Saul was actually a plea uh, for him to return to the Lord. If God has led you to pursue me because of some sin in my life, then I'll offer sacrifice. I'll ask forgiveness. Let's get this this, uh, matter settled, is what he's saying. But if men are the ones that are causing you to pursue me, if they're filling your head with all sorts of stuff, then let them be accursed. And so he's basically saying to Saul, which is it? If I have sinned against you, tell me. I'll make an offering to the Lord. We'll settle this matter once and for all. I'll even ask for your forgiveness. I ask forgiveness for God. Uh, Just show me what it is that I need to do. And I'll do it. But if this is from men, let them be accursed. And so he says in verse 20, So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. Don't let it happen, Saul. Don't let it happen. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. A flea is very insignificant. There's so many more important things, Saul, that you should be doing. I'm very insignificant is what he's saying. And he's being humble here. He's saying, don't waste your time doing this. But his other metaphor here is a bumbling way in which they're trying to catch him, like a partridge in the mountains. It is a worthy, one, one scholar wrote, it is a worthy of remark that the Arabs observing that partridges being put to flight several times soon become so weary as not to be able to fly. They in this manner hunt them upon the mountains till at last they can knock them down with their clubs. It was in this manner that Saul hunted David, coming hastily upon him and putting him to flight from time to time in hopes that David would tire and that they would eventually catch him, is what he's saying. 
says, don't do this. It's a bumbling effort. Here, I ran into you in the cave. Here, I saw you coming a mile away. You think that by constantly pursuing me, I'm going to tire and you're finally going to catch me, is what he's saying. And then verse 21, then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Yeah, he has played the fool. That's it for another edition of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Kassara. If you've missed any of these teachings and would like to catch up, you can download our free mobile app. It's a great way to take any of Pastor Dave's teachings with you wherever you go. All you have to do is go to the Apple App Store or Google Play and search for Calvary Castle Rock. Once you've installed the app, open it up and click on Teachings, and then go to On the Radio. There you can listen to today's segment or any of the previous segments by broadcast date. You can also subscribe to our radio audio podcast. If you want to learn more about our ministry, please go to our website at calvarycr.com. That's calvarycr.com. As always, thanks again for listening in today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Amen.